0: Good morning. Joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, is my good friend Al. Good morning, Al.
1: Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. The um, My phone today is like uh, that fish, that gigantic fish that you try to land, and it's slippery and keeps wanting to get out of your hands. <laughs> I, I don't know what the what happened i haven't been eating pizza or anything while talking on the phone but it's just one of those days that it's it's trying to get away from me
0: did so you wipe the lotion off before after you put it on to maybe help that that sometimes helps
1: <laughs> maybe that was it sprayed it with some uh, sort of germ <laughs> killing thing i don't know you uh, folks man the, i was in uh oh where all have i been New Alm and Lee Center and Waterville and Montgomery and uh, New Prague, Albert Lee. Uh, the trees are just outstanding. Yeah. The leaves are so beautiful. It's uh, You have to kind of watch yourself when you're driving down the road because <laughs> I want to just go, wow, and, and pull over. And uh, I just took one of those driver's improvement classes, and they didn't cover about looking at trees <laughs> while you were driving. So I, I guess that's okay. They covered, uh, you know, using phones and everything else, but not... Uh, Not trees, so they are just so beautiful. We have uh, some trees that are still just that bright, awesome green, and then we have all the reds and the oranges and the yellows and browns and everything in between, so it's just an incredible time of the year. I want to say thanks to the Village Club 55 and La Center for allowing me to speak at their log cabin in the woods and uh it's by lee center you get to this log cabin and you'd think you were i don't know up north somewhere uh uh, they have a nice little uh what we would call as a kid a creek they have this little creek running through there but as dry as it's been this year it's a a dry Mm. dry river but just a beautiful place and uh, it was one of those places that you you don't don't want to run away and leave in a hurry. I'd like to hang around and do that Minnesota goodbye, but <laughs> I needed to get on the road. Uh, Tate, there's all kinds of really great birds being seen everywhere, but, boy, there's a bunch of them in Olmstead County. Tate Putman saw a black scoter there. Hmm. Uh, Kathy Carroll saw an American avocet and a long-tailed duck, which are just... Uh, Both of those are such beautiful birds to see. Is
0: a long-tailed duck a special variety, or is that actually its name, or is it a duck just with a long tail?
1: That's uh, its name, and if you have an old field guide, you might not find it in there, because it was formerly known as the old squaw. Oh. And and so some people thought maybe the old squaw wasn't the best name to have (laughs) for a duck, so and because it uh, referenced the sound that the duck made. So it was kind of insulting in, in several ways, I guess. So they changed it to long duck, which is a, a much better name for several reasons. One is it's more descriptive of the duck. So it's a, a great thing to see. Ronald er- erpelding, a friend from Long Standing, uh, saw a semi-palmated sandpiper over there. And there's just so many, oh, Kathy Carroll saw a Smith Longspur in Cottonwood County. So just, I guess there's so many things to look at out there. Uh, Wendy Zaski. Wendy is from Montgomery, and she puts on so many plays and participates in plays in that fine city. She just does a lot of wonderful things. She saw a uh, she well she showed me a picture of it. It's called a clavate tortoise beetle, and clavate is uh, I think C L A V A T E I believe. And this tortoise beetle looks like uh, the the oh I don't. The markings on the shell look like a tortoise or a turtle, but then there's shell that goes around it that indicates it's a beetle, and it's just really a neat little thing. Uh, Evie Tambernino of La Center said. I have some birds that don't like sunflower seeds. What birds don't like sunflower seeds? Yeah, we think, well, everything must like sunflower seeds. It's like lutefisk. We say everybody must like lutefisk, and then we find out, you know, there's a lot of us that just aren't that fond of lutefisk. But we could list the birds, or I could list the birds that favor sunflower seeds. I suppose cardinals would be at the top of the list, Uh, black-capped chickadees, uh, blue jays. Uh, both house and purple finches, American goldfinches, finches, uh, various kinds of gross beaks. Uh, if you get up north ways, Canada jays would like it, uh, nuthatches, crossbills, titmice, they all like sunflower seeds. When I was a kid, we fed striped sunflower seeds. Some people call them gray sunflower seeds. The ones we get now to feed mainly are black oil sunflower seeds. The gray or striped sunflower seeds. They're bigger. They have a thicker shell. So some folks get those when uh, house sparrows and grackles are driving them crazy. (laughs) And uh, certainly house sparrows will find these harder to crack open than the little black oil ones.
0: Well, then don't they just uh, but, make a bigger mess because if they're really trying hard to crack yeah. them up, I would think it would just like they throw more off the platform, maybe.
1: And there, that would certainly be the case probably for a while, but I would think after a bit, you know, if we keep going to the restaurant saying we want the, <laughs> the special beef dinner, and every time we go there, they don't have it, pretty soon we're either not going to go there or not ask for it. So ah. these guys probably figure that out. To uh, properly address Evie's question, what birds don't eat the black oil sunflower seeds? You know, morning doves will certainly eat them, but they would eat them more often if they were out of the the hull.
0: Mm.
1: And they, uh, if I put out safflower seeds, I find that the morning doves just love them. Uh, Also, house finches seem to. But the ones that won't eat it, primarily would be insect eaters, so they'd be more attracted to suet feeders. So we will get house wrens coming to the feeders, and they're usually picking around at it looking for insects. We get a number of warblers that'll stop there. Uh, Yellow rump warblers will investigate feeders, but some of those will eat suet. So that's the closest thing they can find. I know you look at this big block and you say that that's the closest thing to an insect. Well, it is for them. (laughs) So they will eat it. So the ones that uh, probably don't care that much for sunflowers would be the insectivores, insect eaters.
0: Well, let me ask you this now, talking about insects. Let's say, you know, all those... Japanese beetles, people may have picked off during the summer. Let's say they saved all, all in a little Tupperware thing. Could they put them out in the winter, and would the birds eat the, the dead ones in the winter, or would they still not like them?
1: Yeah, I think some of them uh, would probably. There'd be some probably decomposition to oh, the sure. insects okay. after a while, so <laughs> they would not like them. And I think a lot of birds are probably uh, more attracted to to a live one Ah. the movement because they are predators uh, in that case when they're hunting insects that said there very well might be some of them that would certainly eat them i I can't rule that out but you know just speaking for myself i'd much prefer to eat a live insect than a dead (laughs) one but that's just me
0: but what if it was chocolate Uh, covered and it was dead would that be better
1: yeah, I maybe so, and I'm not a chocolate eater, but oh, I that's have eaten right. chocolate covered insects. <laughs> sure. And uh, I've eaten uh, oh, deep fried insects yeah. and uh, snacky kind of insects with uh, sea salt or something on them. So I, they they were all good. Uh, Jack May of Mankato sent a video of a great to hear from you, Jack, it always is, of a John Deere tractor that was parked and a pair of deer near it. So there was a honking of horn trying to get the deer to move, and they (laughs) didn't. So in this video, uh, none of the things in there, the John Deere tractor or the deer, none of them were running like a deer, despite (laughs) what we've been told over and over again. Uh, Jennifer vogt Erickson. Jennifer lives in Albert Lea, she asked about, she said some of the maples in her yard are staying green, and she wonders what was up with that. She thought maybe it was a sugar maple. Uh, Sugar maples are, the leaves are dark green on the upper surface and then lighter green below, and in autumn it turns to brilliant shades of dark red, scarlet, orange, or yellow silver maples are a pale green on the upper surface and then they're silvery underneath hence the name silver maple and they turn pale yellow to orange in autumn but silver and norway maple trees don't change color as much in the fall. Norway really doesn't. uh, They're not as colorful, as I don't think, anyway, as a lot of other maples. And sometimes silver is not. Uh, Some sugar maples are grafted onto different tree rootstock, which isn't genetically programmed to develop fall color. So sometimes you might buy a tree and it has some other genetics in there and it might not turn uh, that beautiful color that we like to see. So when we're picking up a tree, if you can, it's a good idea to check what all the genetics are in there so you can see if, because we want those beautiful red and orange colors and yellow that we can see. I think I might have answered this, but if I haven't, I'm going to repeat it because it was kind of cool. got an email from somebody saying, we can put a man on the moon, but I can't tell a downy woodpecker from a hairy woodpecker. (laughs) Help me. If you can see them both at the same time, of course, the hairy is much larger. But how often do you see that? How often do you see a big one next to a little one? The hairy is the approximate size of a robin and the downy is the approximate size of a house sparrow. And the downy is more abundant, so your chances of seeing them is you're going to just see more of them. The hairy likes the company of larger trees, so you're probably going to see them out in the parks and things more. You still see them in your yard if you have some big trees. But I found the best way to differentiate the two is by their bills. The downy's bill is much shorter so if you look at the length of its head, the downies is, uh, the bill is about a third the length of the head. If you see look at the harry's bill, match it to the length of the head, they're almost the same. So when sizes and bills are compared, a downy is dinky and a hairy is huge. That's <laughs> the easiest way I've That's found. Good. And they're both just neat. Uh, they Even their calls are, are somewhat similar. So it's just, they're lovely birds. I will add that a hairy acts more like a woodpecker hammering on stuff. And the downy, while it can do that too, it's very often just kind of picking around in the bark and things and maybe smaller trees and goldenrods getting after the galls. So it acts more like a little, uh, um, chickadee or something that we see at the feeders. Where, when you look at the hairy, boy, that's a woodpecker right there, and the way it acts is a woodpecker.
0: Do they build uh, their the nests th- in the same area, or do they have completely different h- housing for each of those?
1: They would both be uh, cavity nesters. Ah, okay. But, uh, again, the hairy would probably uh, tend to be in a little bit bigger tree than the downy so they but they both have habits that are pretty similar as far as that goes and they like uh, they like those nice walls where they can uh, have some safety and maybe quiet in there too cuz some of those trees would offer pretty thick walls so it's um uh, it's uh, the perfect place for them when we had some old dead trees and stuff where they can hammer in there and just find a great place uh, to raise their young, and I think a hairy, boy, I, oh, some years ago I was digging around putting up a wood duck box, and I found a hairy woodpecker nest, and it was a, probably a foot in, so it was hmm. uh, they were in quite a ways, and they are up higher in a tree, too, than I would normally find a downy woodpecker, so they have, they have slight differences and yet a lot of similarities. A listener, the same listener, said, uh, my grandfather talked about lake vultures. Was he talking about turkey vultures? Probably not. You know how grandpas are. They just uh, <laughs> they tell you stuff, and then if you ask them what it is and they don't know, they just change the subject. <laughs> cause I know, because I'm a grandpa. That's how we were. And then we just pretend we didn't hear them asking that question. <laughs> Uh, the lake vulture, it's a name I've heard people call bullheads or catfish, because oh. they are generalists, and they will eat whatever fits into their mouths. They just are out there eating everything. So it's um, it, it's kind of a neat. I don't hear it very often, but when I was a kid, I heard that uh, quite often, and it was kind of funny, because we didn't have near as many vultures then as we do now, so you'd think you'd be hearing it more often, but I think we have a uh, I don't know. As a kid, we went fishing for bullheads and ate bullheads. But maybe there's uh, more respect for the bullheads and catfish than there was then. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, they called them Iowa bass because the Iowans would come up and and fish for them. They said at Clear Lake and Waseca and places. So, oh, so it's uh, you know, B- B- Waterville. I think still has bullhead days to celebrate the the mighty bullheads. So. They are. Um, they serve their purpose. Uh, a listener said, "Why do bats hang upside down?" Uh, you know, for exercise. What do they call those things where you hang upside <laughs> down and you spin them around? I have a friend has one of those. He used it. He uh, no, they they put them in your house and you hang by your feet. Oh. he was in a bad accident oh, okay. and that was part of his rehab and it really worked i don't know i mean he was in a lot of rehab things but you hang upside down and it just i don't know all the blood runs to your brain i guess i i have no idea but why do bats do it well most birds have hollow bones uh, not all of them like loons do not have hollow bones uh the bones uh, are heavier in loons, they're solid bones, and extra weight helps them dive as deep as 250 feet in search of food and stay underwater for, what, five minutes. Uh, Grebes and cormorants are some of the other ones that have solid bones. But bats have solid bones, so they're not very big. So solid bones, and hanging upside down allows them to drop and gain momentum in flight. So okay. they have a, a big payload to get airborne. So just by dropping, they can take off. So it helps them become airborne. And, again, all the blood runs to their brain and so it helps them to think about Do they about have things.
0: to clip onto something? You know, like birds can put their, their little, I don't know what you call them, talons or whatever, they around a uh, Branch and hold on, what do bats hold on with, and how do they, if they fall asleep, how does it just stay clasped and not fall down because if I'd fall asleep, i'd probably fall down,
1: yeah, I think most of us would <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to fall out of bed every so <laughs> often i i don't know what was going on, I guess I was a rambunctious sleeper, and I just all of a sudden i'd wake up on the floor and say. <laughs> How'd I get there? And sometimes, you know, you'd be so tired, you'd just grab the pillow and just keep on sleeping on the floor. Uh, when bats relax, they have these special tendons that lock the toes and of uh, in place. Ah. So they don't have to exert any energy while they're hanging. And once they're locked in place, then their body weight and gravity keep them hanging. Okay. So, They're just uh, meant to do what they do, but it's it's incredible how they can do that and not just fall down on their heads all of a sudden. That would be a tough way to wake up. But uh, I love, uh, thanks for the question on bats. I love bats. And the same listener had a third question. He said, Al, all my life I have heard that fawns, and then she has some parentheses, baby deer, don't have a smell is that true you know it's a how can we put it it's a commonly held belief that i've certainly i've certainly talked about it and said yeah they don't smell uh, white-tailed deer fawns are born without a scent you can look it up online you'll get nine million saying that's true it, it's it is but it's not. It's not quite true they have a scent at birth but it's faint. Uh, during the first few weeks of life the fawn's primary primary defense against predators is to hide. So they may not be odorless but their scent glands aren't fully developed. Oh. So they don't smell, they have no need for under underarm deodorant <laughs> or anything. They just don't smell very much, but I guess, uh, you know, to be honest, when you say, well, they don't smell, you know, they do a little bit, and I'm sure their moms can probably smell them, and their moms clean them up pretty good after they're born, so they really don't have much of a scent, so it, and it works out for them.
0: Hey, Al, I've got Uh, a question about babies. You remember how I wiped out a member of a little baby raccoon family that was crossing the road? Well, this is another case, and my son Grant just sort of laughed at me because he says, Mom, what is it with you and baby animals? So I was out digging uh, lily bulbs. You know, you got to thin them out every now and again. And there was this up, uh, upturned terracotta pot that had been sitting on this stump for a long time. So I moved it because I needed to move around. And underneath was this big fluffy pile of dead plant debris. And of course, under that was an entire family of I think it's field mice, but it was a mama with about 10 babies attached to the teats on each side. So there's five on each side. And, and of course, all of a sudden it's exposed to the air because I moved this pot that's been there all summer upside down. And she started to move away, and all 10 of those babies were hanging on the teats and did not fall off (laughs) as as they ran away under a tree. And, I I mean, my initial thought was I got to kill these, but I couldn't. I I couldn't bring myself to do it because it was 10 little babies and the the mama mouse. And, I mean, I'll put mouse traps out, but I'm not going to, you know, get rid of this entire family. So what happens to them, do you think? Because obviously I moved the, you know, the nest is gone now. She went under this smaller tree nearby with all the babies dragging on her teats with her. So what do you think happens to something like that?
1: You know, I think we'll have enough of them probably.
0: Well, I know, but I mean, do, Amazingly, you, do, do yeah. they still live? Would she build another nest with the baby? I, I was just curious what happened because they, I mean, none of them let go. I figured she'd run and they'd all be there, but they were all hanging on.
1: I think they, you know, they need such a small space yeah. that it's probably a lot, pretty easy for them to find another home, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So they should be, they'll probably be all right. They're amazing, you know, everything wants to live, so their uh, their survival instincts are incredibly good. And it could be uh you know when I was a ki- kid, we called uh, a field mouse uh probably incorrectly, but it was usually uh like a meadow vole or mm-hmm. something like that we would call. I know some people call them meadow mice. But I hear field mouse a lot applied to deer mice also.
0: Oh, so tell me what they look like, because this one was kind of a tannish, brownish, uh, big little beady eyes, and didn't look like a vole to me.
1: Was it white underneath?
0: I didn't tip it over because all the babies were dragging on it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) deer
1: mice are white underneath, so they... It
0: could have been. They're
1: reddish brown above and white below, and then they have those big... Big eyes.
0: Yeah. So I'm guessing I'll probably catch it later in a mouse trap sometime in this well, fall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. With the ten young ones will carry on. Right. So they'll be out there. Yeah. It's uh we we have a lot of a lot of rodents in uh, in Minnesota and everywhere in the world, I I would reckon. Maybe some of the desert well even the deserts have rodents. So they're just they're everywhere. So it it's They'll be, they'll be fine. Okay. And, and, you know, they were squatting on your property. Right. They didn't come to you and say, we'd like (laughs) to to rent a place down there. Would that be all right? No, they don't. They just move (laughs) in and, and you can't get them out, you know, to evict them. it's quite a process, so. I think they'll be all right.
0: Thank you, Al.
1: (laughs) Sure. And I got a text from a uh, fella that I've known for some time, and he said he was out walking in the yard, and it was dark, and he kind of ran his nose into something, uh, I'm assuming a tree branch or something, that came down and bopped him in the nose. And he was saying, like owls, Can they see in total darkness? Because he was saying about how dark it was. You couldn't see two feet in front of your face. And, you know, nocturnal birds such as owls, they have amazing night vision. It allows them to hunt at night. but. I can't imagine they'd be able to see in total darkness. If there's no light whatsoever, I I don't know if they'd be able to do that. You know, on a clear night, they get a lot of light there. And of course, with us now, we provide light for them. But I don't know if it was totally black. It just, and I'm perfectly willing to be wrong on that, but owls have these forward-facing eyes, and that's a feature they share with predatory animals. And prey animals tend to have eyes on the sides of their head, which gives them a wider field of view and a better chance of spotting predators. But an owl's enormous eyes help it take it in enough light to see and make up is, oh, their, their eyes probably make up 5% of the bird's total body weight. Whoa. And what do, uh, for comparison, just think uh, ours would be 0. .000, some small percent of our total weight. So some owls we say, how can they catch something when it's totally mm-hmm. dark? Well, some owls can hunt by sound alone, uh-huh. and they can catch prey in a pitch black environment in testing. But I, I don't know if they can actually really see stuff.
0: What so about I'm cats, then? Because cats seem to be able to hunt in the dark. Is it? Do they do by sound, too, or can they see when it's really dark?
1: I think they probably can do some by sound, oh. you know, because they... Well, you have cats. You know how their head will pop up sometime from a nap.
0: Their and ears they just will stare perk up. Off yeah,
1: into, <laughs> yeah, they stare off in space or look at the wall. Yep. And you say, "What is it? What is it?" Like we're we're talking to Lassie <laughs> or somebody, and they're just looking at this wall. And you go over there, looking at everything and looking outside, and you turn Nothing. on the cats back to sleep. So, <laughs> but they're seeing into another uh, dimension. I think is what it is. Uh, <laughs> Superman had the Bizarro version of Superman where everything. <laughs> was kind of reversed i think that's why cats they look in another dimension where cats are in charge of everything and humans are kept as pets that's what (laughs) i I believe but i i don't have any proof about that so it is uh great to talk to you all i hope you're all having the best of days and i hope uh i hope fall just uh treats you kindly uh We'll maybe have, when I was a kid, we used to get jackalopes. I'd never seen one, but i tell everybody <laughs> we used to get jackalopes. And I could tell they'd been there because we have dust devils in some mm. of the fields, those little spinning mini yeah. tornadoes. And I told uh, everybody I knew that they were caused by jackalopes, <laughs> which is um, a mythical animal. Sure. It's a jack rabbit with antelope horns. So I just, uh, I don't think anybody believed me, but I still think that's what causes those. I want to thank you all for sitting on the front porch with us. Uh, Lori Ryerson of Glenville owns one of the blackboards that once graced the wall of Heartland Grade School, where uh, I was fortunate enough to have attended for six years. And Lori told me, she has it in her house, and they use it as kind of the message board. Uh, Instead of putting everything on the refrigerator, they have this blackboard. It's actually a green board, but they write on there, you know, don't forget to pick up the potatoes or something like that. It's just a message board for the family. And so she says, I love that blackboard. And she told me that if she squints slightly, she can see faded sentences stacked one above another <laughs> and written in a childish scrawl that reads, I, Al Bat, will not talk in class. <laughs> so it's really nice to be remembered. And, uh, and I thought I was quiet all during those years, but apparently not. Hey, thanks again for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And please remember Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks, Karen, for your wonderful company.
0: Oh, Al, thanks to you, too. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.